You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. to 1. God loves to do the impossible. God loves to do the impossible. He loves to work in the realm of impossible, and he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and I'm the biggest example of that. God loves the impossible, and sometimes he puts us in impossible situations. He puts us in impossible situations so that we will do nothing but trust in him and allow him to shine and show through. God loves to do things in a way that proves only He could be orchestrating it. Today, we'll join Gideon in some pretty long odds for success in battle, but God will come through. Pastor Dave will encourage us to take this example of God's power and remember that He can do the impossible even in our lives. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 7 with part 2 of his message, How Many is Too Many. When we first meet Gideon, he's threshing wheat of all places in a wine press. He's hiding. Many people call him a coward. He's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. The Lord called out to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Imagine Gideon's heart. We had a good time with this when we studied this part. Imagine what Gideon thought, mighty man of valor. See, God sees the finished project. God knows the beginning and the end. He sees the completed work. God calls things out as they were, even though they're not. God sees them. God sees the completed project. God sees that and knows what he's going to make of Gideon. But Gideon isn't easily moved. Gideon is not easily moved. His faith is weak. And from this, we can put ourselves right next to Gideon and say, yeah, I know all about weak faith, Gideon. I know all about weak faith. But God is strong. Praise God, he is a lot stronger than Gideon's faith. God is a lot stronger. A great God could use a very, very small, weak Gideon. Gideon makes a lot of excuses to the Lord. He reminds me of Moses when Moses was before the Lord in Exodus before the burning tree. You know, sometimes when the Lord calls me, I make excuses. And the Lord tells me, go visit that guy and talk to him. Oh, he won't accept, Lord. He won't even hear me. He doesn't need you. I make the decision instead of the Lord. What's that all about? My faith is weak. Sometimes I won't listen when he calls me and tells me to do something. I become stubborn. Then pretty soon I feel that thunk as he gives me a fingerhead shot. Come on, Dave. He tells Gideon, I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. See, God's assurance to Gideon was not to build up Gideon's self-confidence, but God assured him that he was with him. Gideon did not need self-confidence. He needed God-confidence. He didn't need self-confidence. That's what we all need in this day and age. We need God-confidence in our life. 
Our confidence must be in the Lord and not in ourselves. Where are you placing your confidence? Please do not place your confidence in me. You will be sorely disappointed if you place your confidence in me. Place your confidence in the Lord. Place your confidence in the Lord. Paul was a confident disciple. You read how many times he says confident in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was a confident disciple. His confidence was not in man. His confidence was not in his own ability. His confidence was none other than the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where our confidence needs to be. It's important to know that God sent us, but it's even greater to know that God is going with us on the mission. He's going with us on the mission. God gave that assurance to Moses in Exodus 3. He gave the assurance to Joshua in Joshua 1.9. And Jesus gives us an assurance in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And yes, I am with you even until the end of the age. Jesus is with us. But the Lord decides to test Gideon's faith. He asked him to tear down the altar of Baal that belonged to his father. Gideon does so and is rebuked by the city people the next morning. But his father all of a sudden stands up. His father is inspired by Gideon's faith. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now Gideon is ready. God had called him. God had tested his faith. God had proven himself strong on Gideon's part. And now God says, you're ready. Now, Gideon, here's the power to do what I've called you to do. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Talked a lot about this power from the Holy Spirit. Many of us are trying to live the Christian life without this power. And our noses are getting red from bumping our faces into walls because we're trying to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. You need that power. You need that power. Gideon needed that power. Everybody who's done anything for the Lord all through Scripture has had that power of the Holy Spirit. Why should we be any different? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Power comes upon him and he blows the trumpet and all these men throughout the nation come to help. They're all there. Woohoo! It wasn't the trumpet blast that got the men to come. It wasn't because of Gideon. It was because of God. It wasn't any type of program that Gideon had. Ten steps to get rid of the Midianites. And he wrote a book. It was a movement of the Holy Spirit that got these men to go. Zechariah puts it real clear, folks. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By the Holy Spirit. But Gideon's faith once again is weakened, and he asks for some additional assurance, and the Lord obliges him with the fleece. And we talked about that. So as we get to chapter 7, didn't think I would get there, did you? As we get to chapter 7, the stage has been set for the deliverance of the nation Israel. God is now going to deliver them out of the hand of the Midianites. God is certainly ready to do his part, but there seems to be a problem with Gideon's army. Seems to be a problem with Gideon's army. They seem to have a problem with numbers. As we begin chapter 7, look at verse 1. Everything in its place and read verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So they're all ready to go. Now, 
What can we glean as we go through the rest of this chapter? We can glean that from this exciting account of victory, we can see that it really truly is a story of faith. It becomes a story of faith. A story of faith. Many men answer the call of Gideon's trumpet. We know from what we're going to read in chapter 7 that there were 32,000 of them. 32,000 men came. But it appears there's too many. Let's look at verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claims glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So how many are too many? Gideon is about to have his little faith tested once again. I read this quote somewhere. Faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. According to God's word, we're each given a measure of faith. But we must use that faith. Now, many of you have known me for a long time. You know I'm not much of an exercise person. So I'm going to use that word, exercise. We need to exercise our faith. Just like when those of you who exercise your body, you get stronger. We need to exercise our faith. And when we exercise our faith, it gets stronger. Our faith gets stronger, but we must use it. This is one of the reasons why God tests us in order to strengthen our faith. I can't rely on your faith and you can't rely on my faith. I have to rely on my faith, and you have to rely on your faith. We can't share our faith. Too many people, Gideon. I got 32,000 men. What's wrong with you? We're already outnumbered four to one. We're already outnumbered four to one, Lord. Well, I'm sorry, you got too many. See, God knew that if he gave the Midianites into the hand of this measly 32,000, they would say, look what we did. We're bad. We took care of these guys. We wiped them all. Hey, we're bad. Yes, we are. Just call us the bad Israelites. Yeah. They'll get t-shirts made. They'll do all kinds of stuff. Come on. The bad Israelites. Yeah, we're bad. Come on. He knew that. Man would get the glory. See, God knows your heart all too well. I believe that's why he doesn't give some of us, me included, the gifts that we ask for. Lord, give me the gift of healing. And he's sitting up there. Yeah, what would you do with the gift of healing, Dave? Pretty soon you'd have your own road show with your own bus, your name printed on it, and you'd have all these things. Come on, I know you. But I do know God heals. I do know that God uses prayer to heal. But he hasn't chosen me for being one of his healers. Although there was a time when I prayed for somebody with a broken arm and it got healed. I saw that. So God may give you a gift for one time. But I believe he doesn't give us things that we ask for because he knows we're going to take all the credit for it. But in verse 3, the Lord says, pare down the number. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Pare the number down, Gideon. Pare the number down. So Gideon says, if you're afraid, leave. 22,000 left. I can just see Gideon looking at God. Great, Lord. It used to be four to one. Now it's 14 to one. Great. Can imagine this. But in reality, Gideon was obeying the law of Moses. If you look at Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, 
Gideon really is obeying the law of Moses. It says in verse 8 of chapter 20, The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So Gideon was doing what he was told to. The fearful and the trembling are difficult for God to use. God cannot use us when we're trembling in fear. I believe that's why every time Jesus came into a room, the first words out of his mouth was what? Fear not. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. What did the angel say at Jesus' birth to the shepherds? Fear not. Fear not. They were seeing this heavenly host of angels. You don't think their knees were knocking? You don't think there was a tendency for them to be afraid? 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. If we trust in something other than the Holy Spirit, we become afraid and we become fearful. If you're not trusting in God, you're being fearful. And I'll never forget, and I think I've said this to some of you, after Elizabeth Elliot's husband was killed by those natives in Ecuador, I think it was, she returned to Ecuador. And she had amazing ministry, and she actually led one of the killers of her husband to the Lord. And when she came back to the States, somebody asked her, weren't you afraid? And she says, when you're in the will of the Holy Spirit, there is no fear. When you're following the Holy Spirit, there is no fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear not. Well, they feared, and they ran away. God said, great, they're gone. There's 10,000 left. 10,000 left. And he says something really far out and bizarre to Gideon in verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you and the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So, He brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with their tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him apart by himself. Likewise, whoever gets down on his knees to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. All the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Great. Thanks, Lord. We've gone from four to one. We've gone to 14 to one. Now we're at 450 to one. 450 to 1. God loves to do the impossible. God loves to do the impossible. He loves to work in the realm of impossible, and he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and I'm the biggest example of that. God loves the impossible, and sometimes he puts us in impossible situations. He puts us in impossible situations so that we will do nothing but trust in him and allow him to shine and show through. And then give him the glory. Someone once said, if you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. I like that. I like that. If you can explain what's going on in your ministry, God didn't do it. I've told you before, I'm just a spectator here, folks, and I love what the Lord's doing. And I love watching what he's doing. And I love seeing all the wonderful things that he's doing here in Lower Township. But Gideon does exactly what the Lord tells him to do, and he's left with 300 men. One person I remember hearing said of 300 middle-aged bald guys. 
300 men are left. 300 guys. The odds went from 4 to 1 to 451. But pretty interesting when you do some studying that in 1 Kings 18, it was Elijah against 450 of the prophets of Baal, another 450 to 1. And God showed himself strong. We all know the story, the same odds. See, God wants to show the world his strength. He wants us weak and humble. When we're weak, what happens? He's strong. When we're weak, he is strong. If you are in a weak and vulnerable position, God can show himself strong on your behalf because he's looking around to do that. People around you see an impossible situation. Think, oh man, you're never going to get out of this. I don't know how that's going to happen to you, but God provides. When our two kids graduated from high school, the twins graduated from high school in 1995, it was time for them to go off to college. Woohoo! And even in 1995, college was no small penny. One of them wanted to go to Drexel, which at that time was only $21,000 a semester. The other one wanted to go to Westchester, which was out-of-state tuition. We'll pray for you guys. We'll pray for you. It's going to be great. Well, praise God, they both graduated from their schools, Drexel and Westchester State. To this day, we have no idea, but the Lord miraculously did wonderful things. That's what you do. God puts you in impossible situations, impossible situations with our finances, with our relationships, with our families. He puts us in impossible situations at our workplaces. Why? So that he can show himself strong when we rely on him. If you're in an impossible situation, you go, all right, I'll take care of this. I know God's up in heaven going, okay. And he watches as we try to go through. And pretty soon we start bleeding because we're banging our head against the wall. And we finally turn and go, God, he says, okay, I'm here. He wants to show the world his strength. See, especially with people. I read a fantastic book by Edward Welch. It's called, When People Are Big, God is Small. When people are big in your life and you're trusting in people and not in God, your God becomes very small. I serve a big God. Mighty, mighty big God. Paul wanted to be strong for the Lord. Paul wanted desperately to be strong for the Lord. And he wanted the Lord to use him. And he was starting, some people think he was starting to get a little haughty, thinking that the Lord was using him mightily. But if you read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, it said by Paul's writing that the Lord gave him something to buffet him, a messenger from Satan. It was called a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. And I think what he's saying is, Paul, you're getting a little haughty there. You might be thinking that you're doing a good job, so I'm going to send this along just to keep you humble a little bit, to keep you there. Paul prayed three times to have that removed. And you know God's answer. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Too many, Gideon. Get them ready. So Gideon's left with 300 guys, and God said, okay, now we can work. Now the numbers are right. We're ready to go. But God wanted Gideon to attack the Midians that night. But Gideon was fearful again. Gideon becomes fearful. Look at verse 9. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Prurah, your servant. 
and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Porah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. We see this all in past tense. I've given this to you. I've given the land to you, he said to Joshua. I've given this to you. I've delivered them into your hands. All past tense, because God sees it completed. God sees it completed. There was a battle to be fought. Don't get me wrong. But God was already victorious. The same way in our Christian walk. There are battles to be fought. There are battles every day to fight in our Christian walk. But the battles belong to the Lord. And he has won the victory. And God doesn't ask us to just look forward and try to fight the battles. He doesn't stand up there and fold his arms and look at us. No, he's right there and he's fought the battles before us. He's cleared the way. We must believe in God's promises. And when we see him do great things, we're humbled to know that our Lord and Savior, the God of the universe, cares so much about us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. I venture to say that he knows things about us that we haven't even found out about ourselves yet. He knows those things about us. We can claim no merit in victory, but we must give all glory and honor to God. Now, hope and love are extremely important Christian virtues, but it's only faith that pleases God. Only our faith that pleases God. And there's an old formula that has been tried and true and has been proven to be true. It's a three-step formula, and I'm going to give it to you today. God said it. I believe it. It's settled. It's a formula. God said it. I believe it. It's settled. God, being ever faithful, gives Gideon yet another sign to encourage his faith. Let's look at, go from 10 to 14. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pur, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east were lying in their valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore in the multitude. Must have been some sight to see all these animals there and all these people. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion and said, I had a dream, and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into the hand God has delivered Midian to the whole camp. (laughs) A loaf of barley. Something as humble and simple as a loaf of barley. God is going to defeat the Midianites with a loaf of bread. I love it. I love it. I just love it. You don't want to go down there by yourself? Take your servant. God is always willing. Moses, if you don't want to go, take Aaron with you. Take Aaron. I'll let him. Then Moses does all the work anyhow. They hear this conversation. Here, God is confirming what's going to happen. What he's already told Gideon. God is confirming it through a dream. I love that. God humbled them. He said, well, we're going to knock over. It's going to be a giant loaf of bread. Roll through the camp and take out the Midianites. They're going to call it the sword of Gideon. God, I like this. If you don't think God had a sense of humor, I don't know, man. You are sure. The Old Testament book of Judges that we've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives us a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The continuous pattern we discover finds them following God, then turning away from Him, becoming aware of their sin, and finally repenting and stepping back into God's path. Each time, 
God brought a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself, showing His power and mercy time and time again. Israel's history is one we still see today. Many of us fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. We follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of our errors. God is always faithful to forgive us, though, when we come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day and is big enough to cover every sin. We are so glad you tuned in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being a part of our time here today, and we hope you'll join us again on Assure Hope.